0: We are the visionaries, the rule breakers, the rebels, and then trailblazers. We are the change breakers. Breakers. We want to recognize the traditional peoples of this continent whose land was stolen nearly 250 years ago. We at Young Changemakers Headquarters would like to particularly acknowledge the traditional landowners where we are recording and editing our stories, the Gadigal people of the Aurora Nation, and we extend our respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. The rich storytelling history of the world's oldest living culture is what we proudly pay respect to when we share stories at conversations with change makers. It is said that the practice of storytelling sustains communities, validates experiences, nurtures relationships, and serves as a form of important cultural continuation for Indigenous peoples. Changemakers, and the stories that we share, we too hope relationships are nurtured, experiences validated, and our community sustained. Hello, my name is Ellie Demarchelier. I would like to welcome you to Episode 2, Your Story of Conversations with Changemakers, your exclusive podcast as part of CP Active's Young Changemakers program. This week on Conversations with Changemakers, we'll be unpacking identity and passions, and building on our story with Peter Hook. Peter Hook is a single woman in her 30s living with Sarah Bulvali. Peter is the creator and host of the I Can't Stand podcast, a weekly podcast answering audience questions about what it's really like to live with a disability. At Young Changemakers this week, we are exploring our passions, talents, and goals. Through engaging discussions and activities, we are embarking on a journey of self-discovery, igniting our inner power and unlocking our full potential, developing our story. So, Peter, what's your story? Let's start at the very beginning. What was it like growing up as Peter? Well, hello, everyone. Thank you for having me. Hi, my name is
1: Peter Hook. As Ellie said, I'm the host of the I Can't Stand podcast. And before I begin, I'd also like to acknowledge elders, both past and present, who are listening today. And I'm in the Bunurong people's land today. So, what is my story? That is a very big question to start off with. I love big questions. In a nutshell, like all of us, I was born with cerebral palsy and I was born in the nineties and my identity with my disability really didn't begin to become a comfortable or a, an identity that I, I felt a part or part of myself with until I hit my late twenties. So I considered myself not disabled. And I know that's that some people would be like, what do you mean? But I what I felt that was like when I was a kid, that I didn't see myself having a disability as a bad thing. I've always been really proud of who I am. But it took me a long time
0: to be comfortable with my disabled identity. And being uncomfortable with that identity, how did that actually play out for you as a kid? What did that look like in a practical sense at school or at home? What did that mean you had to change about yourself, Peter?
1: I think really what I meant was that I didn't have the language at the time, to express it effectively, that I didn't want to be defined solely by my disability because at the time I felt that everybody thought my cerebral palsy meant that I wasn't as capable as everybody else. So I've always wanted to prove to people that I am capable, but now I say I'm capable even if I say I'm capable because of my disability. I'm very proud.
0: Yeah, I am, um, as you should be. I'm also, I should say, um, a woman in her 30s living with cerebral palsy. So I can very much relate to the stories that you're sharing. Um, what was your earliest memory of advocacy, of standing up for yourself, um, of advocating for something that you needed because of your disability, Peter?
1: I've always been pretty good at telling people what I want because, um, as I said, I didn't see who I was as having any negativity whatsoever. So I can remember from probably the age of six saying, hey, I need a rant to get into my classroom. I've never really been hesitant to ask for what I
0: want and for what I need. Which is interesting because you say that you didn't want to be like you didn't want to be seen as disabled and you didn't own that, but you were very um, capable of owning the advocacy part. So um, those two things can be held at the same time. I think that's where internal ableism can be really
1: complicated because I've always been really proud of who I am, but it's taken me a little while longer to understand that who I am is also very much because of my disabled identity. And I think it's, you know, standing in my, and being really confident in that sentence has a lot to do with the disability community and the support I receive online as well.
0: Talk to me a little bit about that community. How did that community help you um, find your identity?
1: I think really... Connecting with people that understand is paramount understanding and feeling understood, and that's why I started the podcast for people to understand what it's like to live with a disability. I don't think can be understated or undervalued. We all want to feel like we belong, and while I've felt in some form or another, I've felt connected to my non-disabled friends, But in some ways, it's been fantastic to connect with the disability community and know that I don't have to explain anything. They have the context. They have the understanding. And better yet, I'm a lot less unique than I thought. I used to think, oh, I have a really quirky personality. And no, nine
0: times out of ten, it's just my cerebral palsy. and. In that, in that finding your identity, where did the podcast fit into that? Where did, um, you know, creating a podcast on disability itself, where did that come in at what stage?
1: So I started the podcast in, well, it launched in 2021, but I started developing it in 2020 during COVID lockdowns. And when I was telling people what I was going to do in my personal life, they were all a bit shocked because I would never spoken about my disability before. Um, But it really came from not feeling like I was able to make effective change and help people advocate for that. Sorry, guys, there's just a drill in the background. Hopefully you can't hear that. Where where was I? I think because my friends were so shocked of me starting the podcast because I was so quiet about my disability but it came from the fact that when I was in my in my work in my corporate job I didn't felt I didn't feel like I was having the impact I wanted to have I get would get so frustrated to read social media or read popular media and think So many issues are happening in the disability community and I'm not able to change it. And the podcast was a way for me to be
0: able to do that. I can totally relate to that. Um, That was my feeling around joining the Defend Our NDAs campaign. You just want to be able to make a change. Um, And I'm sure many of our change makers, that's why they've joined this program is... They're feeling that itch to want to be able to change something. Um, Why choose a podcast?
1: Well, I have to say, before I answer that question, I'm so jealous of the people listening today. I really wish I had this sort of support and guidance in knowing what I wanted to do when I was younger because, you know, it can be so difficult when you're a young person and not knowing where to go from here and to progress in your life and know what you want to do. Um, But I would say that life isn't a straight line, you know. To get where we all have to be is a process. And for me, the podcast was very bad. So I have three qualifications, including a master's degree, and none of them are in podcasting. So as I say, it was a real pivot.
0: And the medium of podcasting is really about storytelling um, and you choose to answer the questions from the audience about disability. Um, some of those questions can be quite, um, I guess, uh, like quite, um, I guess, it, if someone asked you that in person, it would be a bit inappropriate. It would be a bit um, taboo. It it wouldn't be the right thing to do. Why is it that it's okay, you find it okay to be asked those questions in a podcast?
1: Well, that was one of the main reasons why I started the podcast. I interview other disabled people as well, but The origin of the podcast was very much me asking, answering my audience's questions. And that was because I was so sick of, you know, I'll say walking, but I was using a wheelchair, walking out my front door, going to get a coffee, sitting in the cafe, waiting for my coffee and having a stranger walking up and ask the question. We all get asked, what happened to you? Why are you in a wheelchair? Like, no matter how many times I get asked those questions, I never really know what to say. It's really uncomfortable. And I thought, well, the podcast is an active way of educating people. It's all very well for me to answer that one question from that one person in the cafe, but that's only affecting one person. There's got to be
0: a more effective way to do that. And that's why I started the pod. Yeah, see, when I get that question, it depends on what mood I'm in. Sometimes I'll say, you know, cerebral palsy. I've had it since birth. It, you know, impacts my brain. You know, I'll be quite generous because the intention seems good. And other times I'll just go, shark attack. Like, and and they look at me like, oh, like that's incredible wanting to ask more but just knowing like they can't. Or like, oh, it was a cliff diving accident. okay, like, you know, like, what are they going to do if I just say random things? Um, You asked a silly question, I'll give you a silly answer. That's my motto on it sometimes.
1: I do that too, although I always pick being hit by a bus or if it's, I heard this trick, if it's by a taxi driver, I always say I was run over by a taxi because then the taxi driver won't ask any more questions.
0: <laughs> um oh god I'd love to see a taxi driver's face when you say that that's fantastic so you found this passion for podcasting that you didn't you didn't have a degree for you didn't know you had um once you found it how did you manage to grow your podcast and grow your audience
1: That is the million-dollar question. Podcast growth is really challenging and it's a real grind, like I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I did a podcasting course over lockdown and that was with Rachel Corbett, who's associated with Nova Entertainment. And through that, they offered me a small partnership. So I'm in partnership with Nova Entertainment. But uh, honestly, it's hustling as hard as you possibly can. Being in as many magazine write ups as you can, being online, having an active community, and having, making sure that I'm producing content that people want
0: to hear and people will share. And you still love it as much now with that grind of having to keep going and keep producing great content as you did when you started? Like every
1: job, it has its ups and its downs, but overall, I still love what I do. I've really developed a skill in interviewing. So now I interview lots of people with different disabilities and that is my sweet spot. I have to say, I feel a lot more self-conscious being the person being interviewed rather than interviewing the person. Yeah.
0: I guess for you in your advocacy role, looking at the podcasters as, as one big advocacy campaign, what would success look like? Success
1: for me changes all the time. I'm I'm I'll put my hand up and say, I'm not great at sitting in the moment and patting myself on the back when I really achieve something. I'm always about the next goal, the next thing. So, you know, for me. Success can be just landing that guest I've wanted for ages, or seeing that my numbers are up, or having really fantastic messages from my followers and knowing that I'm producing good work and that I mean, and uh, impacting
0: people in a positive way. All right. Well, there's two questions I'm going to ask every guest, which is if you can wake up tomorrow and change one thing um, with the flick of a um, a light switch, what would you change? I'm really
1: self-conscious that this answer might not be as you know positively impacting as it probably should. but as somebody who loves travel and has a degree in travel, I really wish bathrooms on an airplane were
0: accessible. That's very specific. I love it. And final question, what is the song that gets you the most pumped up and the most fired up, ready to go? This is so ironic and hopefully not politically incorrect, but... It's
1: I'm Still Standing by Elton John.
0: Oh, got to love some Elton John, isn't he,
1: great? And I can't even stand, but I love it.
0: (laughs) That's great. Well, thank you so much, Peter. It's been wonderful talking to you and learning all about your passion for podcasting and how you um, have turned uh, something that was once something that you uh, were really embarrassed by or didn't feel like you could own into something that is now your passion. It's wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us on uh, Conversations for Changemakers.
1: Thank you for having me.